Your race, identity, culture, and heritage matter. Because of that, we've created a space for safe conversations that accelerate human connection by exploring and acknowledging variations and points of view. The goal is to bridge the human divide. Welcome to an episode of Rich Dialogues on the Care More Podcast. I'm spending time in some rarefied air right now. Angela Howard, who has her own consulting firm. I'm so glad you took the time and made the time to be with us today. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me, Richie. Okay, psychology, organizational hey. psychology. How'd you yes. get into that? Why did you choose that as a profession? Ooh, well, I actually started my education in clinical psychology. I thought I was going to be a clinical psychologist. Mm. That was my path. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I'm not able to do that. <laughs> I needed to work with something that was a bit less uh, focused on individual trauma. But now I work Got with it. an organizational trauma, which is which is okay. similar. But really, I'm working with behavior at work and understanding how systems work with people in them. And we all have our own psyche and psychology. And that yeah. works together to drive an organization to success or not. And that concept fascinated me. And then also my lived experience around navigating corporate America Mm -hmm. and understanding that I was having a different experience than other people Mm. also fascinated me. So that is kind of the intersection between my organizational psychology background, but also kind of me navigating in the space of DEI. Yeah. And, you know, this life work I talk about all the time, it, while it's it's complex, it's there's a lot of issues and variables to DEI. Yeah. And I'm going to replace all that DEI language with mm-hmm. just human capital people mm-hmm. work. Yes. And when you sit in this space, I think there are some days that are better than others. And sometimes people get what we do, and sometimes people just don't get it or even <laughs> understand why we exist in these spaces. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I want to talk about especially because you pay attention to behaviors and culture itself. What makes a culture attractive to somebody else? What is an attractive culture? As you've been doing this work, now this is based all on your opinion, mm-hmm. based on your experience. What's an attractive culture to you? Well, I think we have to start with motivation okay. and what drives humans to feel and act a certain way. Because mm-hmm. we know that when you feel something, you might verbalize that. And when you verbalize that, then you behave. Like there's like a chain of reaction when it comes mm-hmm. to human behavior. Mm-hmm. And so what we do know, I mean, this is based on my opinion, but also research tells us that we want to feel like we're a part of something. Mm-hmm. We want to feel like we mm-hmm. are celebrated in a space. And that can look like being a part of a community, using our, our passions and our interests to achieve a common goal. We are social learning beings Mm -hmm. and we like to do things together. So I think an attractive culture looks like creating organic community where people from different backgrounds, different perspectives are celebrated. So that's one piece. And that ties back again to motivation and how we actually operate as humans. Yeah. And the thing that you're talking about, and I know you see this across different organizations, is you can say what the culture is supposed to be, but how it actually shows up when you talk to the people in the organization sometimes comes across very, very differently. As you've been doing this work, give us an example of a surprising thing that happened. And it's not about what client it happened Mm -hmm. at. It's like, what is the surprising thing that you run across that's the biggest gap between what leaders think and what the people actually think about the culture? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of work happening right now around well-being, mm-hmm. wellness at work. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of executives, leaders, founders of organizations are 
throwing things at the wall programmatically, right? Oh, let's give everybody an app to help them meditate, or let's have yoga classes, or let's bring the healthy food truck, and that all that is culture. And so what surprises me the most is when you're in these rooms with executives, and they basically want to justify away all the things they've done around the culture they're looking to build, right? Well, yeah, we're a well-being culture. We've done this and that, and they list 35 things. Mm-hmm. And then you actually ask, well, what, what impact has that made? Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's silence. And we talked about this earlier, which is like a lot of executives are just stunned when they throw the spaghetti at the wall and nothing sticks. Mm-hmm. And employees are still saying, well, I don't feel well. I don't feel psychologically safe. You say that we have a flexible work culture, but you're messaging me at 9 p.m. You say that you want me to have work-life balance, but you're giving me unnecessary, ridiculous timelines. Mm. Words and actions aren't matching. Yeah. That's the biggest gap I see. Yeah, and in your predictions as you move forward, you think that's going to be controllable or going away anytime soon? No, I think there will continue to be this gap. I think what we're finding is an awareness around how to close it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people spending time on what's the future of work look like? Like we're post-pandemic, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not yeah. quite. <laughs> anyway, but it's like people are coming back to work. So what's it going to be like? And, I, you know, I've got clients and or people mm. that are making predictions as if they know what's getting ready to happen. And then they're putting things in place. So you're, it's a four-day work week now. Yep. We know that's what you'll want. Come on back. Mm-hmm. And they're dead serious based on some data set that suggests it might work. And I'm here to, to tell people, and I'm pushing this out, nobody knows. Stop saying you know what's going to happen, because you don't. You, if you had known, then how everybody was shocked three years ago, nobody would have been shocked. Right. And so I, I think about that in, in just the psychology of it all. And I hear you talk a lot about culture and just the essence of what makes a an organization feel a certain way by their daily rituals, their mm-hmm. daily routines, their daily habits. Have you ever seen a, this is going to sound weird, but I'm, <laughs> you'll know what I mean. Have you ever seen a culture fail? A culture fail? No, I don't think culture fails. Culture is. If So I think it fails people. Okay. A culture can fail business performance. A culture can fail results. Mm-hmm. But cultures don't fail. Cultures are what they are, just like culture within society, right? Like mm-hmm. we have a different culture than, you know, the Middle East or the Middle East with Asia or, you know, all these things are different, but they just are. Mm-hmm. And none of them are failing, but you can fail people. You can fail humanity. You can fail results. Yeah. And that one of the reasons that is, is, is coming up in the DEI space is people are starting to blame the culture for why there hasn't been so much progress in DEI. And they're blaming the culture mm-hmm. as if, the culture has, is failing them. Like, you said this culture was an inclusive place, but it's not. So you failed me. And it's like, mm. and I agree with you, what you're saying is like, the culture didn't fail. It's the words, actions, behaviors, yes. and intentions that aren't matching, that Correct. isn't working, that to the recipient, a member of the workforce of that culture feels mm. like the culture didn't live up to its name. Exactly. Or the vibe of what it is. What do you tell people to do when that happens? Well, I think the first step is to regroup on some of your value system. 
elements. Mm -hmm. So typically we're talking about ethos earlier, but Mm -hmm. I think about organizational identity Mm -hmm. and I think about our mission, vision, values, Mm -hmm. any memorialization of what makes us who we are, (laughs) Mm -hmm. what we're putting out on social media. I think we Mm -hmm. have to do an audit of those things and identify if that's who we are or who we want to be. And we've societally, we've been through a lot of change. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fair to say these things may have changed. Yeah. You know, or you've, you know, developed a, a new founding team or you have a new strategy for your product. Like all those things can impact culture yeah. or you just want to do better. Yeah. I don't think people spending nearly enough time trying to do better. I think people are just trying to keep up. Yeah. There's so much stress <laughs> and polarization in the world right now. We're a nation divided, companies divided, communities divided, families divided. People are just trying to make it and keep up. Mm. But if at some point, a person makes a decision that there's a reason I'm here and they push through, you get a very different type of person because then they don't get to blame the culture. And it's not that's, that's who to blame. It's like, what do I own? And what happens next to me? Mm. So I'm going to use that as sort of a, a, a transition into, you said how an organization identifies. Mm-hmm. I think people identify very differently mm. at a very individual level. So I'm questioning you, how do you identify? How do you describe yourself? How do I describe myself? Yeah. That's a great question. Because you know I do, you know, this is rich dialogues, race, identity, culture, and heritage. And mm-hmm. I always ask people, it's like, how do you identify? Like, yeah, who are you? Well, I mean, I go back to my upbringing, right? I think about my parents. I think that's where we go first. So I identify as multicultural. And I also mentioned that I'm from Black heritage and Eastern European heritage. Both of those things are important to me because they mean different things. I've mm-hmm. interacted and those things have intersected in different ways. So that's how I identify, but I also identify from someone who grew up in Chicago in Rogers Park. Mm -hmm. I'm an only child. (laughs) That's also how I identify. We were talking about lineage and all of that earlier. Mm. I identify as a entrepreneurial woman. These are all things that make me who I am, but also my values. Mm. So my values around doing the right thing. Yeah. Around integrity, you know. So it, those those things that you identify. So if we, if you say, you know, you're multicultural. You know, that means a lot of things to a lot of people. Yeah. But we're going to stick with it mm-hmm. in the context of how important is that to you that other people know that's how you identify. How important is that to you? It's important to me because I think I'm functioning and we're functioning at those intersections all the time. Mm. And so I think it's important that people understand how I grew up. If they want to get to know me, they mm. also need to get to know how I identify. Mm. And, you know, there's always questions around the words, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think what's what matters most is what that actually means to me and how that changed or shaped who I am today. Yeah. Do you think that how you identify has ever gotten in the way of your personal or professional life? Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and how did you navigate it? What did you do? I mean, I, our listeners are super curious <laughs> to know how to deal with this. Because while you are in a space where you're shining a light and leading mm. others towards certain things, not everybody knows how to do it. Mm. And it's usually by listening to the stories of others and how they made a choice to navigate a certain way yeah. that they go, you know, I, I could try that. Or that's not for me. Mm-hmm. That's never going to happen for me. So how did you navigate those spaces at those times in your life where how you identify got in the way? Yeah. I mean, at you know, when you talk about the workplace, because this is kind of, again, this is why 
how I identify and my interaction in corporate America, mm-hmm. how it's shaped to the work that I do now, mm-hmm. is I was always different, <laughs> at least visually, mm-hmm. than the people that I was working with. So I worked in large organizations. I was in boardrooms. And I was usually the youngest woman of color in the mm-hmm. room, always. Mm-hmm. And it impacted the way I related to other people or how I felt celebrated with the things I used to do on the weekends, right? Mm-hmm. While other people were talking about golf and sports, I was talking about, I don't know, going to a to a concert and mm-hmm. that, you know, the people around me didn't understand or even know who I was talking about and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So those things are important, I think, when it comes to belonging is you're in a space where you feel like you're being celebrated. Yeah. And so I don't think I felt celebrated yeah. in the workplace. I felt yeah. acknowledged that I was this different person mm-hmm. and maybe even tokenize mm-hmm. at times, mm-hmm. but I was never celebrated. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think some of us, people in underrepresented groups in general, mm-hmm. that they tend to hide parts of who they are in order to... Assimilate. Yeah, yeah. you know, assimilate it. And, and even to the point where it's like, it's almost like I'm afraid if I tell you enough about how I identify and who I am, that it'll hinder my yeah. ability to, to belong here. So I won't tell you at all. And I tell people... I, I try to get people to understand hiding who you are isn't healthy. Mm. No. It's never been healthy. And, you know, when we do, and it then impacts the quality of our life, we then all of a sudden turn around and it's, I'm going to be unapologetically me. I push people. It's like, why didn't you be you mm. a little sooner? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have to be upset about it now and be unapologetic about it, saying this is what I am and who I am and what I believe and who I love and where I go and the places mm. and spaces I'm in. And, you know, as an organizational psychologist, I think there are some cultures that systemically make people hide. Yes. They make people hide who they are. How do you break that systemic thing down mm-hmm. as you give people, I know you have a, a cultural blueprint. Mm-hmm. you know, that you use. How do you break down the systemic barriers that are placed on some people inside of a culture? Yeah, I mean, the first step is inviting people to the party. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to involve everyone in the process mm-hmm. because I think we have to acknowledge just the statistics of who's in leadership, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Who are the people making the decisions? Yeah. Uh, you know, that has changed and progressed a little bit over time, mm-hmm. but the majority is overwhelming, And so you're talking about similar homogeneous backgrounds. And so the first step is really to include a representative group in the process so that you're getting different perspectives on how to actually even approach the work to make sure it's inclusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think that's a step that a lot of companies, it's very top-down. And again, it's not just about power or hierarchy, but it's also who is at that top. And they're not representative of your workforce. Yeah. You can't get to a real answer. And I'm saying there are multiple answers to almost every situation, every Mm -hmm. question that we need to ask. But until you have diverse perspectives in the room and you hear them all the way through, not just invite them. Because I got this thing where it's like, you know, invite everybody in. Mm -hmm. But then when people get there, they don't get to dance. They don't get to talk. They don't get to. But I invited you. That's that's performative to me. In my world, in my language, in my work. Invitation is not nearly enough. No. And you don't get a cookie for doing it. No. That's table stakes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, First step. And and there's, you know, it's not just about the right thing to do. There's actually, you know, a business case behind this. There's a human case. There's a business case Mm -hmm. behind this, which is, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just the basics. Like, who are your customers? Who are your consumers? 
Do yeah. they look like your leadership team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably diverse. So let's make sure we're yeah. we're matching those experiences to who you're serving. A lot of times when people are hiding who they are, they're also hiding a part of the gift they bring into a room. Yes. And nobody ever gets to see that gift because they're hiding some portion of their story, of mm-hmm. their narrative, because mm-hmm. they think it's helpful at that particular moment. And it gets to this thing about excellence and what excellence really means. And I think we all have attributes of excellence mm-hmm. in us all the time, our entire life. Mm-hmm. Except we don't spend enough time actually letting other people see mm-hmm. excellence in us. So what to you, what is excellence when you look at a human and go, if excellence is around us all the time, mm-hmm. how do you define excellence? I mean, excellence is, I think— so there's my definition, mm-hmm. and there's the definition we're operating in. Okay. Which I think there is a difference, right? Because okay. excellence, performance, productivity, mm-hmm. all of these things were built not for us, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That excellence, you know, executive presence, right? You hear yeah. that term a lot. I think my version of excellence is our ability to reinforce behaviors of humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It means integrity and sticking to our ethics. It's doing what you say you're going to do. It's being authentically, using your capabilities, your superpowers to make others better. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a community mm-hmm. element to it, not just an individual element to it. So mm-hmm. when I think about excellence, I don't think about me being excellent. I think about Let's bring everybody along. Mm-hmm. Let's every let's mm-hmm. do what we need to do to spread excellence. Yeah. So those are things that come to mind, but that's not, we're a very individualistic society. That's right. that's so right. our version of, of excellence, my version of excellence, and what I'm operating in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what stifles or causes that code switching that you were talking about earlier. Too. Yeah, because we code switch to survive, which, you know, I tell anybody who code switch, I just want people to hear this, that's not a bad thing. Uh, you're supposed to code switch. Are you kidding? If you were the same all the time, everywhere, you'd have a very different life. Code switching is healthy. It is when it becomes unhealthy yes. to your well-being, who you are, quality of life. Correct. You need to try to manage it. Mm-hmm. And some of my best mentors in my entire life told me to change. When you're in this environment, Reggie, don't be that way. Mm. It's not going to help you. At first, I bristled. I'm Reggie. <laughs> like, I'm going to be me wherever I am. Mm-hmm. They were right, though. Mm-hmm. In that particular environment, at that moment in society, mm-hmm. being that version wasn't helpful to me. Mm-hmm. And my mentor said, I'm trying to help you get out of your own way. And so at some point, I transitioned from code shifting is bad. Mm-hmm. It's making me be inauthentic to who I am. No, it's strategic. Yeah, so, you Code know. shifting is a strategic thing. We need to be very strategic when we code shift because it is how you become successful. Mm. You code shift. Yeah. Oh, you, 100%. Yeah, yeah, know your audience, yeah, yeah. right? Know, thank you. That That is thank. absolutely. In the work that we do, we have to know our audience. And, we, and that's code switching. Mm-hmm. To your point, if you just think about the physiological part of code switching, mm-hmm. it actually, I mean, again, I can talk about the brain all day, but when you code switch— from something that's not authentically you, because mm-hmm. I think you can code switch and still be authentic. Our authenticity is kind of overused, but there's a spectrum to it. Yeah. But when you're code switching in environments that aren't authentic to yourself, you are dispelling and, and yeah. spilling out so much energy yeah. that you can't, and that's what I always tell leaders is, think about all the waste 
<laughs> that you are producing within your organization yeah. because your people have to show up and put their work face on yeah. or their I'm talking to a leader face on. Like mm-hmm. all of that is emotional labor and energy. Mm-hmm. And it's waste within yeah. organizations. It compounds yeah. over time. Yeah, and then we say we're the sustainable organization. Right. Well, I love that right. contradiction. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess. Like, yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, p- pushing into black excellence, like the phrase black excellence, mm-hmm. you know, it's been used in brands and on campaigns and it's become very popular in the lexicon over the last, mm-hmm. I don't know, five to six years. And the question becomes, is that really a thing? Should we really, is that helpful or harmful to say black excellence? Because mm. excellence is excellence. Mm-hmm. And why do you need to put black in front of it? Mm. That's a rich dialogue that companies don't have with themselves. There was an um, advertisement that came out and they said uh, it had something to do with black scientists. And the scientist went, why did you put black scientists in front of my name? I'm just a scientist. When I was... In this article you did, like Black mm-hmm. Science, like what, huh? Like wh- why? And the, mm-hmm. the the authors or the editors were going, I didn't know that was a problem. Mm. I, I'm like, uh, yeah. Like we identify, we put the identifier of their race, identity, culture, and heritage in front of the excellent mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. And that's, what, what, how do you feel about that? Should we, should we say Black organizational psychologists? Is that how you want people no. To know you as a woman organizational psychologist, as a no. or just an organizational psychologist. Yeah, I, I get where I get where you're going. 100. percent I have two views. To your point, I think there's harmful and helpful. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes harmful when we're using it as a hashtag and just mm-hmm. you know it's it's surface level. It's mm-hmm. just another way to maybe divide or provide you know inflammatory statements that that aren't helpful. But I do think, going back to the construct of excellence, you heard me say I had my definition. Mm -hmm. And I think being a black woman, being a person of color, we're starting to shape this new world of things like leadership and excellence. Mm -hmm. We're starting to say, Mm -hmm. we don't buy into this anymore. Mm -hmm. We're actually thinking about excellence, not from an individualistic perspective, but as a community perspective. And so I think at its core, black excellence has a very positive intent. And it mm-hmm. can be really positive if mm-hmm. we think about it from the sense of black excellence being more of a, I don't know, a verb or an action mm-hmm. versus a hashtag or a, just something you, you know, put on a wall and take mm-hmm. a selfie in front of or something, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think, but the, the word black excellence, I, I think, is this culture of I'm going to take care of my community and mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure everyone's excellent. And that's how I interpret it. Yeah. But I can see yeah. how it can be damaging to your point. Yeah. And I think there's any number of ways to sort of navigate it, but mm-hmm. you have to know yourself, be able to validate yourself first. I talk about self-esteem all the time. It's like mm-hmm. self-esteem starts with the word self. Mm-hmm. Self. Mm-hmm. I don't need someone else to validate me for my self-esteem to rise. And when you hear terms mm-hmm. like black mm-hmm. excellence, it's like, I don't need you to validate me by putting black in front of it. Like my self-esteem, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can access that though. Yeah. And I think as an organizational psychologist, one of the things that I, I want you to help our listeners sort of hear is in the process of becoming who you need to be mm-hmm. versus hiding who you are, what do you tell people just from, whether it's neuroscience, brain work, mm-hmm. like what do you tell people do to center themselves on validating themselves first in terms of navigating culture? I think the first thing is to understand your needs 
So I think within organizations, oftentimes what happens is, so the first thing is we put a lot on the individual, right? When it comes to culture, we say, well, you should take advantage of this program, or you should take this yoga class to be well, or you should stop eating donuts and lower your cholesterol so we can get better numbers as an organization. <laughs> we, we don't oftentimes focus on the system. Mm-hmm. But as an individual, I think we've normalized working and functioning in shitty cultures that are not meeting our needs. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I'm, I can be in a privileged state here to say this, right? Like, just quit your job, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. I would have the luxury to do that. Other people don't. Some organizations aren't that clear. They're, it's kind of under the radar, right? Yeah, we're a rem- remote-first culture, but if you're in the office— we consider you more promotable or we consider you, uh, you know, part of the culture if you're here, right? Those are two different things. So I think as an individual, you really have to understand what are your needs? Mm. Not not what has the workplace conditioned you to believe your needs are. What are your needs? Mm-hmm. Is the organization matching that for you? Yeah. Can you, do you have the permission and the psychological safety to ask for those things? Mm-hmm. If you don't, stop there and leave. <laughs> Because psychological safety is something that takes time Mm -hmm. to build. And it's when you don't have it, it's really like, it's like a bunch of cracks in the culture. Mm -hmm. They're all over the place and it it can be damaging. Yeah. And, you know, you all need to really listen to Angela right now. I know it sounds like, oh, I can't quit my job. You know what? When you're in a toxic relationship and you know that relationship isn't healthy, you know what you need to do. We didn't say, and you didn't say, and you're not prepping anybody to like leave today. We're saying if it's unhealthy for you, yeah. make a plan, mm-hmm. execute against the plan where you're having a different quality of life. It's a choice yes. to stay in an unhealthy environment. Mm-hmm. When I think about a person's race, their identity, their culture, their heritage, that those shouldn't be the domains that we sacrifice in order to be successful. No one should hide the intersectionality of their race and their identity, their culture and their heritage in order to be successful Mm -hmm. in an environment that doesn't celebrate me, as you said. Move to the other side, though, is there's some ownership that we all have to take Mm -hmm. on what happens next. How do you hold a culture, an organization, accountable for saying what they said they were going to do? What do you t- what do you tell those leaders? It's like you said you're going to do this. Yeah. I assessed your culture. Mm-hmm. Here's what we found. Like, mm-hmm. what do you tell them then? Well, you have to continue to challenge them and to take it back to what we said we were going to do. I mean, it's really that simple. There, there are very simple tactics to do this work. Mm-hmm. You memorialize. You get the results of your assessment. You memorialize what you're going to do, and you measure on that over time, and you keep people updated. Mm-hmm. But that simple thing of like, we said we were going to do this. Here's the progress we made. Mm -hmm. It's so hard for organizations. And so one of the parts of my process is we, even after we do the assessment, we stay with the client for six months. Mm. And we check in every single Mm. month and we have a scorecard and we come Mm. back to that scorecard. And I'm the accountability partner. Mm -hmm. So I say, all right, we said we were going to do this. What's the progress? Mm. And have you communicated that back to the team? And we do that every month for six months. So I think leaders need an accountability partner, mm-hmm. whether it's the executive team or somebody who's checking in. Mm-hmm. Because that mm-hmm. is, the, the consistency and predictability around it, the consistency is culture. And that's what people, I think, yeah. don't realize yeah. is, again, they throw a program at the wall and they say, oh, all right, walk away. Mm-hmm. The consistency is what creates the predictability 
and really shifts the culture. Yeah, consistency, you know, the predictability. And some leaders, some organizations, some people in general are really good at following up with somebody. You know, it's like, let me follow up with you about that. I heard you say it. But a lot of people stop and don't follow through. I say follow yes. up and follow through. Mm -hmm. That's where that consistency comes from. We fall off a lot in our promises we make to other people. Yeah. And in your personal relationships, when you when you don't follow through, <laughs> your significant other will call you out on it. Right. It's like, I thought we were going to, yeah. and they call you out. Mm -hmm. In workplace, that doesn't happen mm -hmm. unless it's hitting someone's bottom line. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the, the health of the culture of the people, we don't follow through nearly enough. So I think there's a couple of rich dialogues waiting to happen about pay disparity between people of color and dominant culture. Mm -hmm. Like, we, we, there's a wage gap that has been there for years. Mm -hmm. And people keep saying there's a wage gap, there's inequities, and we're going to do something about it. But I haven't seen shit happen in some companies. Mm -hmm. Yet in others, people say, you know what? I've been solving it. I've been working on it. I brought in some experts. We did, and now we are closer than we were before mm -hmm. because they followed through. And I think you mentioned an important point, which is the follow through doesn't have to always mean perfection. That's right. That's like right. Just saying or being real to say, hey, you know what? We slipped up here. The vulnerability around that mm -hmm. creates psychological safety. Yeah. If I can be vulnerable with you and say, hey, I messed up, mm -hmm. or hey, mm -hmm. we didn't meet the mark for mm -hmm. you all. You are giving, with that behavior, you're giving permission for other people to do the same thing. Yeah. But unfortunately, in organizations, there's this veil of fakeness <laughs> that for some reason, it's... I don't know how it got created, but it's this veil of just, it's a barrier. It's a huge barrier. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it impacts psychological safety for the full team. Yeah, there's something to be said about uh, the follow through and Allowing people to make a couple of mistakes and stumble. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we show nearly enough grace to people. And I think there's bias in grace. Mm. Let, me, let me talk about that a Because So people mm. say, well, you know, I showed that person some grace. You know, I, I cut them some slack. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh, you did for that person. But there's someone else on your team or there's someone else around you in your space. They didn't do half the mistake that this person did. You showed them no grace at all. Mm -hmm. So they got bias in the grace. Yeah. And I want people to be have equitable efforts yes. <laughs> when yes. they say I'm showing grace to yeah. somebody. I, I, I just It's one of those things that sometimes people don't know how to navigate because they're not used to thinking that mm -hmm. way. All they know, to your point earlier, is like how to survive. Like I just I have to survive. I have to make it to the next day, next yeah. month, next year. And which you know brings me to, why do you keep doing this work? <laughs> it is one of the most thankless things yeah. spaces that you're in, even though everybody knows you need to be here. Like, why do you keep going? Why? Uh, I think I was just made for this work. You know, I think that I've always been a truth teller. <laughs> and I recently <laughs> had a uh, a reading. I don't know, you know, for those of you who are into uh, the crystals and the, the energy and all of that. But I, you know, I was told, like, my ancestors were truth tellers. Like, my lineage has truth telling in it. Yeah, I believe that my ancestors were truth tellers, and that has led over into how I'm interacting in the modern world. Uh, so that is my value system. Integrity is in my bones. And, you know, I spent a good part of my career focused on coaching women of color mm -hmm. in workplaces mm -hmm. and helping them navigate the damage that was already caused. Mm -hmm. And it was clear to me that I needed to make a shift and, like, actually impact 
the system that was causing the damage. So I feel like I have a responsibility. I feel like it's just in my bones. I feel like I'm good at it. <laughs> you know, I have this yeah. ability to balance kindness, compassion, clarity, and accountability, oh. which I think is a gift that I don't, not to say I'm not, I'm, you know, hyping myself up here a little bit, but I'm sure other people have that gift, but I feel like it's something I have to use. And if I'm going to use it anywhere, this is this is the space I want to use it in. You just keep, you just keep going, keep doing it. Just keep going. You're not and take down. care of myself. I mean, that's the other yeah. thing. You really have to take care of yourself, stay centered, mm-hmm. and really be in um, in tune with your, your truth telling. Yeah. Because it can it can get it can get hard. <laughs> that is really interesting. You know, that fortitude that you're showing, the the grit, the fortitude, mm. the you know, whatever word that people want to use. But it's it's like you have that and you what you were sort of espousing right now is that's part of who you are. Like mm-hmm. that's how you are, not just who you are. Yeah. In that context though, you still you still have to grow. Yes. So there's growth that happens to all of us because while we're a social species, we're also a species that is we're supposed to evolve over time. Oh yeah. So what's the difference between the old you and the new you? How have you noticed yourself growing? You don't need a, a reading to know this. <laughs> like, yes. how do you know you're different than you were before? Yeah, I I feel more like myself now than I have, have ever in my entire life. I mean, I don't you know as a small child. I don't know how mm-hmm. I felt necessarily, but uh, I look at, you know, I started my business last year mm-hmm. and I was really scared. Mm-hmm. I was building my business for seven years, block by block, but finally made the decision to go on my own last year. Mm-hmm. And that has been the most freeing, empowering thing for me because I'm not doing the code switching. That's damaging to me mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. I am in a space where I can hold people accountable and not be stifled by politics and unhealthy cultures within an organization. I was kind of just, again, that veil was a barrier for me to even like move or navigate. And now I just feel, I feel like I can be the best version of myself. So I've changed drastically. I'm a little bit more unapologetic with my boundaries, Mm -hmm. really clear about what I want to achieve. But I'm also really, I give myself grace a lot. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and that's maybe some bias because it's myself, right? But I give myself grace a lot yeah. and give myself the the acknowledgement that I know what I'm doing. Because yeah. a lot of times you're in this space and you're like, shit, do I, is that the right thing? Do I really know what I'm mm. doing? Like people mm. make you feel stupid sometimes, right? Mm. Or that you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Like you go into someone's organization, you try to tell them what you're seeing as an outsider. Yeah. And you, I get shut down daily about my observations. And sometimes it takes me saying the same thing nine or 10 times in different ways uh, to finally get to the, oh, the light bulb moment. Yeah. But I, I love to see that progression. So I think I've changed with my resilience. I know that's overused, but my resilience with mm. getting there yeah. and working it piece by piece. Before I would be like, oh, just throw up my hands and try yeah. something else. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, as a culture speaker, you know, Culture meaning underrepresented groups, culture, black culture, yeah. people mm-hmm. of color, multicultural culture. We have always been surrounded by messaging that you have to get along first mm. in order to survive and fit in. And there are some of us generationally that is like, I don't need to do that. Mm. Like that thing you were saying earlier about people are here now going, I don't have to, to put up with and or accept 
right. your definition of mm-hmm. whatever it is, professional, smart, all those kind mm-hmm. of things. And what that pushes us toward is there are people that are showing up in the same spaces they've always shown up in before, but they're really different. You've watched yourself change. If you went back, whatever the reason, went back into corporate America, you would not be the same person oh, no. you were in corporate America before. No. It just, you couldn't do it. Couldn't. People, as you hear this, I want you to think about what you need to own for the next phase, chapter, season of your life. We need to own what happens next instead mm-hmm. of just accept what happens next mm-hmm. to us. I like to offer, you know, to anybody who's willing to receive this message right now, that you can actually control what happens next if you take the time to own who you are, where you are. Mm. So I've got this 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 mantra, this version that I am pushing out into the world. It's like, be who you are, where you are at this point in your life. Don't be somebody else mm-hmm. where you are. Be who you are, where you are. And if you can sort of navigate that from day to day, week to week, storyline to storyline, you'll be more healthy as you you put up with the things that we all have to deal with just to survive. Uh, What are you thankful for? I think think our gratitude fuels us to do amazing things. What are you thankful for? I'm thankful to have a community of other people who are doing this work Mm. because we can't do this alone. And I know we talk about excellence and we have all this individualistic philosophy around this work or, you know, work in general, but this work we can't do alone. So I'm, I'm really thankful for, for you all and for the community that we're able to create and to make an impact, right? Like we're doing the work at the end of the day, we have to do the work and it's just, it's, it's more fun when you've got friends to do it. (laughs) (laughs) More fun when you, I got it. More fun when you got friends. Thanks for joining us, Angela. Thanks for taking the time. You spread some messages where people will, it'll be a sort of a growth nutrient for them. It's like, that's going to help me be different. And for some of them, uh, you've actually given them a chance to stick to it. Because of you listening to your message, they go, hey, I get, I found my grit again. Yes. <laughs> the gratitude and the grace we all need to have, it's, mm-hmm. it's human. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you for thank being you. in this space and in this place with me. Thank you so much, Reggie. Mm-hmm.